Or, or maybe you're worried about your kids. You worry about their friendships, their grades, their maturity. Or you dads in here this morning, there's, there's something at work that's running through your mind even right now. Something that's happening tomorrow, Monday morning, something that you need to get to. I remember one time being in a men's retreat and they were asking for prayer requests and a man stood up and, and he, he said that often he would wake up in a cold sweat worrying about the fact that part of his job included raising $100,000 every month for the organization he worked for. And he'd wake up and he was asking for prayer. He actually wanted to get rid of this job, but it was just on his back all the time. Uh, and maybe you have concerns like this today or this morning, right? Stuff happening at work, grandparents worried about kids and grandkids. Maybe you're a, a, a young person this morning, junior higher or high schooler, right? Maybe you're a senior in high school and, and school is about to, to end and your mind is consumed wondering what is next, right? right? Like those finals and where you'll go to school. Maybe you haven't made that decision yet. You've got a test coming up, all right, for work or school, finals. Maybe this morning you're waiting for the results of a medical test, something you thought was nothing, but the doctor said they wanted a second look. And you're wondering, what well, was my insurance going to cover this? What's the end result here? What's going to happen to me? What if it's bad? You worry that way. You're, you're worried about finances. You, you have enough to make rent for, for the month of April, uh, but May, you're just unsure. And you're worried about what that's going to look like. You got to pick up an extra shift and you, you're not sure how that's going to work out. Maybe this morning you're unmarried and you desire to be married. You're worried it's not going to happen. You're worried about who to marry, and maybe you feel like the options are, are getting less. Or maybe today you're just wondering what the plan is. What's God's plan? You're wondering why you're in a season of, of waiting, wondering what's God up to today. You're just worried about the future, the future in general. Or maybe you're like the young man who recently asked me, when will my anxiety stop? When will it stop? What's the answer? Well, this morning, I, I want you to know there's hope. There's hope this morning for you if you are one of the people that I just described or you have your own worries this morning, and there's hope from God's sufficient word. And I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and open up with me to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. There is hope from God's word for those who worry, for those who are anxious. And we're going to be spending some time this morning in Philippians 4, just looking at two verses. But this book is, has been foundational to my own faith. And, and as, as we're going to parachute in uh, to these two verses, I do just want to give you some kind of background so you kind of know the flow of, of Paul's thought who wrote this little book. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees, even as we focus on anxiety and worry today. So, and you, you probably already know the larger context of Philippians. Paul here is in prison in Rome. He's probably most likely chained to a prison guard. He's not even sure if he's going to make it out alive. He actually addresses that earlier in the book. So there's plenty of reasons even for the church at Philippi to be worried about or anxious about their friend Paul. But Paul here in Philippians is concerned about gospel progress. 
he, he wants the people of Philippi in, in, this, in, this, in this Roman town, in this city, to, to have a, 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 a love and a passion for the gospel. This is, you may know, a, a letter of friendship. It's a happy, it's a joyful letter. Now, often the word joy coming up throughout this little letter. And this letter was actually sent in response to a, uh, by Paul to a gift that they had provided to him. And I, I believe, actually, if you just look back at chapter 1, verse 27, we have the purpose of this little letter at Philippi. He says it this way in verse 27. He says to the church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's heart for that church was that they would, they would live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Their lives should match the things they say should match the way they live. And so this is his push throughout the book. He wants unity in the church, right? We have this wonderful section in Philippians 2 on humility, focusing upon Christ. You get to chapter 3, he's, he's telling the church, listen, you need to pursue Christ with a singular focus. Your focus should be set upon Jesus and and. The church needs to be unified. So as we come into chapter 4, he now decides to give some final exhortations, some final thoughts that what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. And this morning for our time, I want to look at two commands and a promise to help our worried hearts. Two commands and a promise to help our worried hearts. And I think you'll see those in verses 6 and 7. I'm calling them the antidotes for your anxious heart. The antidote for your anxious heart. Look down with me uh, at Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I'll give you my outline in just a second. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I already said there's two commands and a promise. My outline, I think, will come up on the screen. Here's the outline for you this morning. It's just three R's, classic preacher. You got to go with three points and all alliterated with the letter R. Refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. We're going to see that. Secondly, to request of the Lord. And then thirdly, rest in the Lord. I think that's what we're going to see here in Philippians 4. But the first one there, refuse to worry refuse to worry. You can see it there at the beginning of verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. We have a clear command. That's what this first command is. From God's word, to not worry about anything. Literally, if we were just translating this straight up, it would say this, stop worrying about anything. It's a clear command. To, to refuse to worry. God is simply saying to us through his word, no worrying. No worrying. Refuse to worry. And, and, and Paul, I'm using the word worry. I'll probably interchange those words for us this morning. He uses that word anxious. Do not be anxious. And this is actually not the first time he's used that word in the book of Philippians. If you just flip back in chapter 2, he'd use the exact same word speaking of Timothy. And look what this 
with me. He says in 2.20, talking about Timothy, for I have no one like him, and I don't know how your Bible translate it, mine says, who will be genuinely, here's the word, concerned for your welfare. Concerned. That's the exact same word that we find back in chapter 4 for anxious. And the word there in 2.20 uh, even though the, these words ha- are, are, are the same word, they're similar thoughts with different focuses. In 2.20, in relation to Timothy, Paul is speaking there uh, of a godly fear or concern. A godly fear or concern. This has its focus on other people. It, it has focus on their welfare and, and even God's glory. And Paul says, this is what Timothy was like. He had this kind of concern for you as a church. And Timothy was, was desirous as a pastor to shepherd and care for them, and, and he had this godly care. You could even say godly anxiety for them. But in our text, Paul's not using the word that way. He's not talking about concern that we have for the welfare of others. In fact, in 4.6, in the context there, we see it. He, he's, he's talking about an anxiety that, that is ungodly. That is an ungodly fear, we might say, a fear of even what might happen to us. And you might say that Paul's talking about an absolute controlling fear, a controlling worry. It's overwhelming. It comes on strong and it grips our hearts and we feel like like it's overtaking us. And we could say just simply, it's the kind of worry that doesn't consider the character of God. It doesn't consider his love, his wisdom, his sovereign power over the world. It's a sinful and ungodly anxiety because in some sense it's just godless. It's not considering God at all. Paul Tauchus wrote a little book. I recommend it to you. It's called Anxiety, Knowing God's Peace. He says this about the New Testament use of the word anxious, that word. He says the New Testament employs two different but related words to refer to the experience that we call anxiety. He says they combine the noun merimma in Greek, which is usually translated care, with the verb merizo, which means to draw in different directions or distract. So he has care and draw in different directions. And he says this, to be anxious then means to have a distracting care, a distracting care. To have our minds and our hearts, he says, torn between two worlds. Maybe you've had that experience as you think about your own worries, right? It's it's helpful as we understand what the heart of of anxiety is, what our our stressed out, worried minds, we, we have distracting cares, And he says this, later he says that these distracting cares in our life, they tend to blur our spiritual vision. They keep us focused on the the here and now, on these temporal things, and not on the future promises of God, on eternal things. I think that's helpful. We have our hearts in two worlds. So he closes by saying this, anxiety diverts us from what is most important, and it causes our eyes to see only what is before us at this very moment. Maybe you felt that. You've been there. I mean, isn't this the kind of anxiety that is so pervasive in our culture today? We see this all the time. I mean, psychologists just simply call this anything, anything related to worry or anxiety. They call it an anxiety disorder. 
anxiety disorder. In fact, I, I have some here listed in my notes. We have acute stress disorder. We have an adjustment disorders. We have this one, agoraphobia, which is you, you fear and avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic and make you feel trapped or helpless or embarrassed. These are the kinds of fears that people live with regularly. Obsessive compulsive disorder, a form of fear and worry. Panic attacks, common today. How about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Common among soldiers who have gone to war. They've experienced intense situations. Social phobias, or really any kind of phobia. I mean, those ones are very serious. There's one, though, here that I think is interesting. It's called arachnophobia. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I mean, who knew that peanut butter could cause so much anxiety, right? And, and, and while that one's silly, I read this, that anxiety, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, they say this, that anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the United States, affecting 40 million adults, which, by the way, is the population of California, According to them as well, in a survey they, they recently did, nearly half, 47% of those surveyed say that they experience anxiety regularly. Common. 19 million adults experience specific phobias, making it the most common anxiety disorder in America. 15 million adults say they, they have social anxiety 7.7 million adults have PTSD. 6.8 million adults have a generalized anxiety that don't even fit in a category. 6 million adults suffer from panic disorders, and that's just adults. What about our young people today? Well, according to that same organization, of the 74.5 million American youth, 22% or 17.1 million have a diagnosable psychiatric disorder-related to anxiety. The most common, the most common, of course, are these anxiety disorders, and that is just among 13 to 18-year-olds. So sad. And, and, and I, I, I don't want to belabor this point too far, but of the large sample of young people that were surveyed, it was found that the start of these anxiety disorders, on average, is age six. Age six. And maybe, most shocking of all in that report, is what they say that it can predict, child anxiety, what it predicts in the life of children. They say, does this organization here in America, that this can predict issues later in life, including panic attacks, depression, separation anxiety, conduct disorder, social phobias, or even thoughts and plans of suicide. As sad as that is, and as, as serious as that is, we understand what it's saying. We're just a culture of worry warts, aren't we? We have so many distracting cares, so many things that are causing our hearts and our minds to be separated, to, to, to be worried. And though we want to live the life of akuna matata, don't we? Akuna matata, what a wonderful phrase. Akuna matata, it ain't no passing phrase, right? It means no worries for the rest of your days. We want that. We think it sounds amazing, and yet we know that we are prone to worry all the time. If it's not a anxiety, it's money. If it's not 
A phobia, it's friends and relationships. It might even be pleasing people, jobs, schools, homework, going to the dentist, (laughs) reputations, our futures. And you say, why do we worry so much? What is it about anxiety? Why does it so often get the upper hand? Let me give you one reason why. It's because I think worry tells us lies about the future. It tells us lies about the future. A lot of things that we worry about are things that have not happened yet. At least we think they are going to happen as if they've happened now. And in that sense, those worries are almost always not based on reality. It's based on fear. It's on fear. And so worry, as one professor said, he said, worry is a false prophet that gives you false prophecy. It's telling you something about the future that may or may not be true. And so we have these ungodly fears and ungodly worries, and and they're often characterized for the Christian as unbiblical thinking. We, We have a focus on our circumstances without regard for God. We, we have self-centered thinking, right? We're just so focused on ourselves. And in fact, it actually can motivate us to commit other sins. We're going we're gonna to lie or, or fail to fulfill our even responsibilities that are before us because this worry overwhelms us. In fact, it can even arise from guilt in our hearts. You know, fear of being found out, fear of the consequences, or even fear of God's wrath. I will tell people sometimes that that regret is just a form of anxiety about the past. You can't do anything about it, but here we are thinking over it long and hard. Do you remember the words of Christ? I think they're going to come up on screen. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's a great question from our Lord. Jesus' point is so simple. Worry accomplishes nothing. It does nothing for us. In fact, it often just causes other problems. He continues in Matthew 6. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Right? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek, these, seek after these things, and, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, he says it again, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's just interesting, even in that passage, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. He's pointing out that part of the reason we worry is because we actually lack faith in the Lord. We just simply, in that sense, don't trust him. We don't trust him for the things. Jerry Bridges, this famous writer and author, says the reason why worry and anxiety 
is sin. He says this, and he gives two reasons. He says one is because anxiety is sin because it is a distrust of God. We just talked about that, right? When I give away to my anxiety, I'm believing that God doesn't care. I'm believing that I can't trust him. I become in some sense a, 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 a functional atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't trust him. And then he says, secondly, sin, anxiety is sin because it is a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. I had a friend in high school, just came to my mind. <laughs> so we're going off notes here, so we're getting scary now. <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget it. His mom, she would sometimes be frantically late at night vacuuming the house. I remember one time, it was like 10 or 10.30. I said, Will, his name's William. I said, Will, why is your mom like clean the house in like the middle, felt like the middle of the night. And he goes, oh, it's because my sister's not home. Had an older sister, had a car. She's just worried. She's just worried, right? And maybe that's your response. You, you run to the vacuum as opposed to the, the Lord, right? You run to other things, Right? You run to even other things that you worship instead of God. In fact, worry is a form of idolatry because it's, it, it's worshiping something other than the one true and living God. It's putting our trust and faith in something else, oftentimes ourselves, saying, I want control. I want power. I want to know where my daughter is right now. I want to know if she's safe and I can't, I have to occupy my mind with, with other things. So let me ask you a question. Have you considered what's caused your anxiousness this week? Your anxiety? Is it a distrust of God? Maybe you never thought of it that way. Do you lack faith to believe that he's sovereignly in control over your entire life? Right? Or is Proverbs 12, 25, what, you, what happens in your life, it says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It weighs him down. Do you feel weighed down by anxious thoughts? Do you feel, in that sense, worried sick? What can you do? Well, Philippians would tell us you need to refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. Don't be anxious about anything. It's a clear command. We have to start there. To worry is to sin. We must refuse it. But that's only the prohibition, right? There's a two-part command here, and we have to see them together. So we go from refusing to worry to, secondly, request of the Lord. Request of the Lord. Look at it in verse 6 of Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, the simple anecdote to a worried heart is prayer. It's prayer. The Christian in trial, trouble, worry, doubt, anxiety, stress is to request of the Lord. Those words, you see them there, prayer, supplication, request, they're all saying the same thing. We have to run to God with our worries. We have to run to him. And, and Paul is not talking here about different types of prayer as if we pray and then we request and then it's not that. He's just using synonyms to stress that the, the believer is to come and to petition God, ask for help, cry out to God for help. Sometimes I'll tell people when I counsel them, listen, sometimes you just need to do what we call breath prayers. Just say, help, help God. I don't know why this is overcoming me right now. And I want to remind you, church, he's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to handle it. We have to not doubt, but to trust him. And 
I just want to say this. Don't run to him as a last resort. Run to him first. Don't go call the friend first. Call upon the Lord. Don't go elsewhere. And and furthermore, don't blame God, but beg God for mercy and for help with your worries. Jerry Bridges, in in his book, The Practice of Godliness, which again, I commend to you, he says the great anecdote to anxiety is to come to God in prayer. We are to pray about everything. Nothing is too big for him to handle and nothing is too small to escape his attention. Right? Did you lose your keys this week? Pray. Pray. Something small in your life? He can handle it. Or did you lose a loved one this week? He can handle that too. He's big enough for lost keys and lost jobs and lost hopes and lost friends. You have to believe that he is. He can handle it. Are you worried at work? Got deadlines, you're slammed, your boss is unreasonable, right? Maybe you got multiple businesses. Let your requests be made known to God. You're worried in school, got those exams coming up. Let your requests be made known to God. You're worried at home, that son or daughter of yours got their driver's license, right, for the first time. You worry what might happen. God can handle that. He's big enough. You're worried about that future spouse, not sure how long or if. You must pray. We must pray in everything is what the text says. The antidote to worry is prayer. Just this week, I was doing the dishes. You know, you're there and you're in the sink and I'm just doing stuff. And sometimes I'll know, like, my mind is just a thousand places, you know, and I'm just doing things. I got the dawn and I'm going. And, and, and I, I'll sigh. Like, I've, I did this week. I just sighed out loud. And Bethany goes, you okay? I was like, I did that out loud. Shoot. I go, I don't know. I just feel like I'm kind of overwhelmed at the moment. She goes, oh, well, you just have to pray. Right? My wife reminded me of Ephesians 4, or Philippians 4. Right? We have to pray. And the text says that we have to pray. It says this, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Paul said the same thing, same thing in Colossians 4 too. continue steadfastly in prayer, but be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let me ask you, church, what are you thankful for? Right, what are you thankful for? At the minimum, if you're a Christian, you can pray with thanksgiving by just being thankful that God saved you that he rescued you from your your deadness, that he brought you out of the depths of your sin and called you his own. You can be thankful for that. And that spirit of gratitude, of thankfulness, it keeps our prayers from being selfish desires. Right? We just thank God. We want what you want, God, in our circumstances. And you can pray. We heard Pastor Joe preach through 1 Peter 5, 7. You can pray and be thankful because here's what Peter said casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You can be thankful because God cares for you. The creator and sustainer of the universe knows you by name. And he cares for you. He cares for you in a personal, loving way. You can trust him. And all these things, and I don't don't say this lightly, all these things he's doing in, in your life, he does for your good and his glory. Right? You know well Romans 8. And we know, 828, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The cure for anxiety, the antidote for worry, for stress, whatever troubles our fearful hearts is prayer. It's prayer, the request of the Lord. 
You know, I've read about different ways that you can, you know, kind of handle your anxiety. I read one. This is one piece that I read. There's some interesting ones here. They say this, like a four-step deal. First thing, you take a deep breath. Okay, you hear people say that. Okay, that's fine. I like to breathe. I think air is good, right? But then the second step here is to set a timer. So just give yourself 15 minutes of worry time and then stop. You're like, I don't think that's going to work. It doesn't always fit in 15-minute chunks. Uh, and this one is number step three in this that I read. It says you're supposed to yell shred in your head. Shred. That you're supposed to picture your worries going through a paper shredder and visualize them being destroyed. So just yell shred. People will think you're crazy. <laughs> and then number four, you're supposed to distract yourself with music, with exercise, and a good book or a movie. And I just thought to myself, is that working? I mean, it seems like our world is just nothing but worried all the time. And I say, no, it's not working because it's not God's appointed means to address our worried hearts, is it? It's not. We need to come and obey God's word and trust God that we are to bring our worries to him in prayer. In prayer, we must run to him. I mean, there's other ways the world treats worry. There, there's lately cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, Right? A type of therapy that will condition you to behave in a desired way uh, just through conditioning. Are you scared of water? We put you in a non-threatening situation until you're not. That will help your worry. Or the other option is you can take medications. And listen, I know that I'm touching a very, I want to be very careful. I'm not anti-medicine, but sometimes, sometimes those can be band-aids and not cures. We need to be very careful that we're not trying to relieve symptoms and we don't go after the heart problem that can cure our anxiety, right? We need Christ. We need Christ for our anxiety. We need to run to him. You cannot be anxious, uh, won't, won't be not anxious apart from Christ. Because we have right? At the core problem is just this sinful attitude. I can do it myself. I can handle it myself. We need to run to God. So we need to first refuse to worry. Secondly, we need to request of the Lord. And here's the promise at the end uh, in chapter seven, we need to rest in the Lord. I love this. Rest in the Lord. Look at verse seven. It says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have here this wonderful promise. As we refuse to worry, as we request of the Lord with this attitude of thanksgiving, right, in a spirit of, of thankfulness, in full trust of him, he gives us, the promise here, is his peace and his rest. The worried heart longs for rest, doesn't it? It longs to be settled. And here we are promised peace. And it's not a command to just be peaceful. It is a result. This is what happens when we take our cares to God. And look at the kind of peace that Paul describes. It is, it is in verse 7, the peace of who? Of God. It's the peace of God. It, it comes by his spirit through relationship with him. It doesn't just come initially at salvation. Of course it does right? 
It comes at salvation, but this, this, comes, this peace comes daily when we put our trust completely in him with our circumstances and our cares. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God. And I have to say this to you. Paul says it here that God's peace is mind-boggling. Look what he says. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, This is an otherworldly peace, a peace that is promised to those who are in Christ. It's beyond all human comprehension. It's like that silly gif that sometimes gets text around. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, where there's this little cartoon character, and he's sitting there, and the whole place is on fire, and it says, this is fine. He's just sitting there. Listen, I think that's not far from the Christian. This is fine. The world can be burning down because we have peace that surpasses all understanding. It's mind-boggling peace. It doesn't make sense. You can't explain it. It goes far beyond what we can understand. It's so much greater. It's so much higher. It's so much wiser than us because it's the peace of God. And not only that, not only that, look what it says. This peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What does it do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the promise to all those that are in Christ that have worried hearts. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The idea here is one of a soldier protecting a city. In fact, Philippi would have been a place where there probably was a lot of soldiers. In fact, a lot of them retired and went to Philippi. This was a Roman place. They'd send their guys, all right, man, you've done your service. Go hang out in Philippi, this sweet town. And and, and so Paul picks up that soldier language and and that word guard there, right? It's, It's like putting up a security system to have peace of mind, which is really interesting to me because we do this in our homes, don't we? Put up cameras, got a code, right? So I can have peace of mind. I can see who comes to the doorbell, right? I don't want that Amazon guy doing something shady. (laughs) We we do this to have peace of mind. And here, we need to have true peace of mind, not just for our homes, but for our our hearts and our minds. The idea here is, is like you have a personal army that comes to protect you. Paul Tauchus in that same book on anxiety, he says the word guard is a military word. It speaks of a garrison of soldiers that are on duty. And when we pray, God dispatches a defense force of armed warriors to surround our inner person and protect it from anxiety attacks that would disturb our peace. I say, praise God. Call on an army today to come to protect your heart and mind from those worries. Put a a yard sign that says this home is protected by the peace of God outside of your heart. Or better yet, put a warning sign that says a legion of armies is on duty. Don't disturb the peace. Put this on your heart by running to the Lord. This is the promise from scripture, the same place that we have worries and anxiety, the place of our hearts is the same place that God will bring his peace to you this morning. In our hearts, it says, and minds. Hearts and minds. Again, I think I shared this before when I preached previously, hearts and minds, same place. It's one idea with two thoughts. In our hearts and minds, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep, or the word is guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God's peace does this. It guards you. And I'll remind you of one final thing. I've already pretty much said it. The end of verse 7. It will guard your hearts and your minds, and here it is, in Christ 
Jesus. In Christ Jesus. There is no other place that this kind of peace is found. It's only found in Christ Jesus. In Christ. Listen, if you know Christ this morning, you can run to him. You can request of him and his peace will guard your heart and your mind. This is the promise of scripture that I hold out to you. But yet, if you don't know him, if you don't know Christ, then anxiety and fear will continue. They will continue. You do actually have reason to fear and be anxious. Because this morning you stand, you stand in opposition to a holy God. Apart from Christ, you don't have his peace. You have not experienced the peace of Christ that comes at salvation. You need his saving peace before you can experience his sanctifying peace. And you too need to pray. You need to pray. And you need to pray the prayer of repentance and faith in Christ to experience this kind of peace. I do not hold out to you, those who in this room this morning may not know Christ, uh, 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 this kind of peace. This is only for those who are in Christ Jesus, is what the text says. We take God at his word. And listen, you can pray if you're apart from Christ this morning that he would save you and you recognize that he died for your sin, that he was raised. He was raised and overcame sin and death. And he took the punishment on the cross for your sin and for my sin, and you can trust him this morning. He did that for you. If you don't know Christ, if you are not in Christ, as this text says, then come to him today is what I'd say. Come to him today. Talk to someone else in this church. Say, what does that look like? I want the kind of peace that is described in this text. Listen, listen, prayer, prayer then comes with peace. And I want to make sure I say this. It's not because we necessarily get what we want when we pray. Right? It doesn't mean that automatically, automatically in that worried moment, right, everything's going to change. My, 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 like my heart rate's going to go down, not always, but because it's just simply an expression of our trust in God. We have to come back and go, listen, I don't have it all figured out. Even with my elevated heart rate, Lord, I need you to come and bring that peace that comes. I don't always get what I want. Maybe what I want is not what's best. I want what you want, God. I think what you want is best in that moment. So we don't always get what we want. But John 14, 27, this promise, Jesus Christ himself says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed on you. You'll have ultimate peace. And of course it says, because he trusts in you. This is the peace that God promises to those who run to him with worried hearts, begging for help in their time of need. Right? I can't help but think that if you're a worrier and you take this passage to heart right, and this command, then your prayer life is about to just increase in a big way. Right? It's about to be elevated. Right? This is the promise that God gives us. I love Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. He says, prayer doesn't offer you a less busy life. It doesn't offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. The place where we worry. So, Again, refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. Request of the Lord, the second part of that command, and rest in the Lord. This is God's antidote to your anxious heart. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus, 
so many things that occupy our minds. Lord, I confess, even just that ounce of worry yesterday, Pastor Joe said, hey, can you preach tomorrow morning? Not sure what I'd preach, but trusting now, Lord, where my heart was, as we looked just briefly at anxiety this morning and worry. Lord, we have so many things that we need to bring to you. Lord, cares corporately, cares for our nation, concerns, maybe anxiety. Lord, we ask for your peace. Lord, so many things occupy, occupy our hearts and our minds today. We have cares for our families. Lord, I myself have a concern for my, my father-in-law has cancer. Lord, about to start new treatments. Lord, would you guard my heart and my mind with your peace? Lord, there's others here, broken relationships, concerns about how this, this next conversation is going to go with that person. Lord, guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful. We want to pray with thanksgiving thankful for each other, that we can cling to each other, we can run to each other in, in times of need, but more importantly, Lord, we can run to you because we are in Christ. We have access to you. Lord, I pray that we'd access you more often. Pray for our church to be a church of prayer, to be desirous to run to you with every worried thing, whether it be lost keys or a lost job or a lost friend. God, we love you. We're thankful for Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.